Hi, y'all. This is Kristen Chenoweth. Hi, I'm Gloria Stefan. This is Sarah Bareilles. Hi, I'm Patty Lapone. This is Lynn Manuel Miranda. You're listening to the Broadway Podcast Network. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Are we starting with the easy word? Yeah, lay it on me. What you got? Uh, Okay. Eczema. Eczema is the easy <laughs> one? Oh, shoot. Eczema. Can you use it in a sentence? <laughs> oh, shoot. Uh, I did <laughs> prepare that hard um she said put the lotion on the skin (laughs) or it gets eczema (laughs) okay e-x-c-e-m-a ding it's e-c-z-e-m-a you were close e-c-z oh good gravy (laughs) okay here's your first one are you ready yes peace can you use it in a sentence yes the thing your uncle wears to try and convince everyone he's not bald. Oh, peace. P-I-E-C-E, peace? Yes, <laughs> but you don't get the ding. What do you... That is correct. That's what you get. <laughs> that is correct. Okay, uh, now I'm really scared. Eczema was the easy one. Go. Uh, uh, What's the second one? Nascent. Oh, shoot. Can I get a definition, please? Yes, because I'm going to Google it right now. <laughs> okay. Uh, I was like, oh, yeah, I kind of know it. But okay, just coming into existence and beginning to display signs of future potential. Wow. What is it again? Uh, nascent. It's an adjective. So again. Nascent. Yeah. coming Just coming into existence. Like something that it's like just formed. Like like natal. Yeah. Would be I like the so. root word. I think it's just like more for... Um, like industries like the example that they have is like this is like the nascent space industry you know or like of course of course the nascent (laughs) space space industry industry, you know (laughs) (laughs) okay i'm gonna go with n-a-c-e-n-t nascent oh you're so close ding n-a-s-c-e-n-t you got the c though yeah i was like most people probably would have spelled it with the s and not the c so oh good one good one okay here's your next one jen chrysanthemum Ooh, okay. I can see the word. Let's see if I can <laughs> process it. Chrysanthemum. C-H-R-Y-S-A-N-T-H-E-M-U-M. Chrysanthemum. That is correct. <laughs> Yay! Two for two, girl. You're killing it. All right. Okay. okay. What's my hard one? The hard. Okay. It's. I promise you, it's just sounded out. The hard one is also a type of flower. Rhododendron. Rhododendron. Mm-hmm. R O. D O D E N D R U M rhododendron. Oh no! It was R H O at the beginning. That's oh. the tricky part. <laughs> R H O, and at the end, it's actually R O N rhododendron. So I didn't pronounce it very clearly. Oh. I guess <laughs> that's a good one. That's my last one. 
Okay, your last word is bourgeois. May I please have it in a sentence? Yes. The original name of Costco was bourgeois. <laughs> <laughs> oh my gosh. I don't even know if that's real. <laughs> that's amazing. That's not. Okay. Bourgeois. B-O-U-R-G-E-I-O-S-E. I feel like it. Oh, so close. Oh, I messed it up. <laughs> Ding. It's weird. It's E-O-I-S. E-O-I-S. Oh no. Okay, great. Were you a good speller? Like, did you? I was an English minor and I did spelling bees, but like I did spelling bees in elementary school and like my elementary school was a private school. So there weren't that many people in it. Um, (laughs) But no, I've always really liked spelling. And I feel like as like a avid reader, you just sort of like pick up more words when when you like Mm. read more things and you're just like, oh, that's really cool. Um, So I was like, I've definitely seen Bourgeois and I should know. And I have I apologize in advance to my friend who got us through Paris. (laughs) No, and I apologize to all those suffering from eczema. (laughs) There you go. Welcome, everybody, to a musical theater podcast where we discuss the cultural and emotional impact of some of our favorite musicals in theater history. My name is Jeffrey Scott Parsons. You can call me Jeff. Today, we are talking about the 25th annual Putnam County Spelling Bee with Miss Jennifer Lynn. Hi, Jen. Hi. (laughs) Uh, So grateful you're here. This was a really great coincidence because Spelling Bee was a listener request and also your request. Yeah. (laughs) I think it was the first thing I thought of when you were like, pick a show. And I was like, oh, what show hasn't been done yet? Um, Why did you pick it? I think in a lot of ways, it might be the first show that I felt I worked on as a music director, if that makes sense. Um, Like the director was a a professor at the school. Um, Oh, wow. So that was really cool. She kind of was able to collaborate with this student group that it was like, hey, we really want to do the show, but we want, you know, (laughs) for lack of a better term, adult supervision. (laughs) Uh, (laughs) Will you come and, you know, tell us how to do it? And it was probably, I would say it's the first show that I was like, oh, learn a lot of the ropes of music directing as you go with a not very easy score <laughs> yeah seriously um, you like learned as you go with william finn that's like that's the name of a book right there learn yeah. as you go with william with finn. william finn not by william finn um, <laughs> exactly but yeah you know, it, it was it was a good challenge and i've always wanted to do it again i did it recently i did it last year at a school that i teach Aww. at so it was weird now coming full circle and now i'm the adult supervision <laughs> right but um doing the show with them and it was really fun and they were so good like they choreographed it themselves so, You're kidding. How yeah. great is that? So they they got, they got a lot of freedom to do that. And part of what the theater program at this school does is it also gets students involved in stage managing, gets students involved in sets and lighting and sound. So like we actually had student run almost everything other than wow. me playing piano live for the shows and then the director helping. Like he was like in the back making sure nobody messed any of the sound equipment up, but like sure. everything else was live. So I was like, that's really cool. For those who may not know you, you are an incredibly talented musician and music director. You're so smart. You're always on your game. You never seem stressed out. You're like very (laughs) (laughs) calm and even. 
But then probably my favorite part is that you have lots of like Rilakkuma notebooks and yes. pencils and stuff in addition <laughs> to all of that, which just makes me feel really happy inside. Oh, that's amazing. <laughs> oh, if you, we actually have like a almost life-sized Rilakkuma <laughs> who lives in our apartment. Do you? Yeah, that's fantastic. She's... I love going into those stores. They have <gasps> the most cozy hugest stuffed animals you've ever seen in your life yeah this one was a purchase that i made when i was (laughs) i was sick so i'd just taken cold medicine and i somehow convinced myself that drinking a hard lemonade would be a good idea so i shoot (laughs) i blame it on the combination (laughs) of those two things i bought it i bought it in my first apartment when i was living with three other girls and like one of the girls watched me buy it on my laptop and she was like yeah that's a great idea (laughs) (laughs) Totally sign off on this. Yeah, she was like, I approve. And I was like, great. Uh, I I feel like it might have expanded. Like, I just love cute things in general. So I just have, like, my phone case right now is this, like, ridiculous little yellow dog. (laughs) Oh, my gosh. It's so cute. I did not know about the term kawaii until only a few years ago. There's so much, like, kawaii subculture that you can get into. Right. Yeah. But for those who may not know, that word... Like, the best definition I've heard is that when something is so cute, it hurts. Like, you go, oh, it's so cute. <laughs> yeah. Like, that. that's, like, the definition of kawaii. It's like the little girl in um, Despicable Me when she's, like, hugging the unicorn. And she's like, it's so fluffy, I could die or whatever she says. So yeah. I was like, that's, <laughs> I feel like that's the definition. You, like, Suffering feel from, from an attack. overdose. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. All the more the better at this point True. in time. Now, Spelling Bee is such an interesting show. I can't I can't think of any other show that had the kind of genesis that it does right. or did. It started out as a play called oh, I always Crepuscule. forget this word. Crepuscule, thank yes. you. <laughs> so I did do spelling bees in school. Did not I'm not a bad speller by any means, but like did not excel. And I remember my mom came to watch me in the spelling bee and I got dinged out, like on the third word, I think. And she told me, I was so proud of you because when they said the word, I knew that you didn't know it, but you took a deep cleansing breath before you started. And I have always remembered that. That's a good parent. Oh, that's like, I love that you remembered the advice she gave you afterwards or like the feeling she gave you afterwards rather than like the disappointment of missing the Instead of like the utter (laughs) failure. Yeah. That did not happen with me, so I don't have an uplifting story to tell you. No, <laughs> I'm so sorry. No, it's we we joke about it, but <laughs> but yes. Yeah, so crepuscule, crep- mm-hmm. and and was it actually called crepuscule or was it C R E? I think it's that. It was like the spelled out version of crepuscule because that's what that's what the um the PV score says. It says it's based on C R E P U S C U L E, an original play by The Farm. And The Farm was an improv group Mm -hmm. that, you know, created the show about a spelling bee happening. And I mean, we've all seen, I mean, I hope we've all seen (laughs) the script spelling bee and the kinds of interesting kids Mm -hmm. that find their home in, Mm -hmm. in spelling bees. It's adorable. It's like there's theater kids and then there's like spelling kids. And I... If there are theater spelling kids, they are <laughs> the ultimate tier. <laughs> they are the ultimate tier of weirdo. Yeah. And I and I love it. And I love them. And I think that this was such a, an inspired idea to make a musical out of because mm-hmm. of that. Because I think so often in musical theater, you have a bunch of very empathic and yet externally <laughs> aware individuals 
to then delve into these types of characters with a lot of honesty, a lot of quirk, but then a lot of heart. Mm-hmm. I, I love this show. I think it's great. To me, obviously, the parallels um, of having adult play children, like in Charlie Brown. Mm. But there's something really refreshing about seeing people that you obviously know are adults, but like you see them go crazy on stage as these kid characters. And just like there's <laughs> something so genuinely like like it's I don't know if heartwarming is the right word, but you see it and you're just like, oh, man, like there's a part of me that wishes I could do that normally, you know, like to be able mm-hmm. to just like fully go leave Coney Bear on the stage or whatever you want to do. And it's just like, this is, there's such a joy to seeing that. And it was really interesting doing it with a younger cast because even, even eighth graders and ninth graders are already like trying to put on personas, especially growing up in an age like now where, you know, social media is everywhere. I would actually say it was interesting because our barfay was totally cast against type. Like, oh, interesting. You know, normally we'd be like, oh, somebody kind of um, like an outsider, like a quirky sure. person. He was like a really popular um, athlete. And so. Wow, interesting. But he was so game to go fully weird and do weird voices. And like he let the the costume, the kids doing costume and hair, give him like weird hairstyles. And like people were like his peers were coming by and being like, what is happening? <laughs> you know? and he, got a, he got a little self-conscious during that. So like we were trying not to like have them get ready in full view of the school. Like we had like a little dressing room for them to get ready. But oh, sweet. but like when he came out and people were just like, wait, is that. Is that, that who I think it is? Him. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> it was really fun seeing I that. I love that. I think that, that was very liberating for him. That's so brave. Yeah. yeah. You know, when you were talking about like, what is that thing that we get as an audience to see people doing that with mm-hmm. such abandon and a lack of judgment on themselves? Right. I think it's wish fulfillment. You know, that's I think. That's really a good way of putting it. Yeah. When you're that insane, you still have an audience of people that's, that still loves you. That would cheer you And doesn't you reject you. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. No, I, yeah. that's a great way of putting it. It's a, yeah, it's like a bit of wish fulfillment on ourselves also, right? Being like, oh, yeah, well, For if sure. I was ever that uninhibited, like, I could be like, oh, there's actually something really joyful about that and really positive about it rather than just sort of automatically going, well, nobody would like you or that's too crazy. Yep. <laughs> Amen. And isn't that what musical theater is all about? Aww. <laughs> So Crepuscule, uh, like we said, was put together by an improv troupe. So the show was different every night. Mm -hmm. And they had like a a specific structure to it. Mm -hmm. And they ended up filming many performances, a performance that then got in front of a musical theater composer by the name of William Finn. Mm -hmm. Now, good old Bill Finn is someone that we haven't talked about on the the podcast yet. I'm a big fan. Yeah. Back last year when we did the episode about Music Man, Mm -hmm. I talked about how Meredith Wilson wrote Music Man based on what he knew, right? Mm -hmm. He was from Iowa. He played the piccolo, you know, like all of these things were kind of led up to him being able to create this story. And William Finn is another who writes autobiographically. Mm Mm-hmm. He writes what he knows. And in many ways, he writes what he's lived. Mm -hmm. So he uh, grew up Jewish gay and kind of weird mm-hmm. and that's his musicals <laughs> i was like that's falsettos <laughs> right yeah he started out as an off-broadway writer mm-hmm. so many of our american musical theater writers did in the 80s writing this off-broadway trilogy mm-hmm. of musicals that were known as in trousers mm-hmm. falsetto land and march of the falsettos i may be getting that order incorrectly But they all kind of had to do with the same characters, Mm -hmm. the same themes. And that was eventually put together into one show. Right. 
I guess not in trousers, but the other two were put together into one show called Falsettos that came out in the early 90s. Incredibly groundbreaking musical, and I hope to do an episode on it. Mm -hmm. But a groundbreaking musical that had to do with uh, being gay about the AIDS crisis Mm -hmm. and, and yet somehow is still a family musical. Right. It's one of the few musicals from, I think, that decade that feels so traditional and yet incredibly progressive, right. if that makes sense. Yeah. No, I I saw the production that was on Broadway a couple years ago with um, mm-hmm. Christian Borle. Sure. Um, and I do remember thinking that, like, it is just, it's like a family sitcom, but the characters being gay and lesbian um just being who they are exactly (laughs) and then you know like for the little kid it's just the little kid being a little jewish kid and you're like that's who he is with yeah with a you know with a very dysfunctional family but colorful dysfunctional family right but i i guess it's a very almost sly way sly sounds like negative but i mean like it's a very i feel like it must have been a very kind of easing into a a way of like talking about these topics, especially in musical theater. This was before Rent. You know, I think Mm -hmm. we think of Rent as the AIDS musical, Mm -hmm. if you will, and Falsettos preceded it. Mm -hmm. Okay, so then plot twist, William Finn has a brain tumor. Yes. And uh, ends up writing a musical about it. (laughs) (laughs) Once again, the title character semi-autobiographical, has a brain tumor, thinks he's going to die, is also Jewish and gay. And also a composer. Yeah, and a composer. Oh, you're so right. And the musical's called A New Brain, which has a fantastic score. Yes. Now I want to do a New Brain episode, too. (laughs) So weird, so quirky. Again, there's like a frog who talks and jumps and sings. You know what I mean? Like weirdo ideas, Uh but filtered through this gorgeous score and really deep... They're, they're like that score feels so deep to me, emotionally speaking. Yeah, I mean, and it's interesting because with a with a lot of Finn, you know, sometimes it's the complexity and the harmonies and stuff that like you're just like, wow, that's so you know. Obviously, he's such a, a, a smart writer, and you can hear all mm-hmm. those layers and stuff. But like the song that gets me every time when I listen to that is "Sailing," right? Mm-hmm. And that's like the simplest song in the show, and you're just like, I just like thinking about it. I'm like, I'm gonna cry. <laughs> William Finn also does a lot of song cycles. Yes. um, I've played through Elegies before. um, Oh, really? Which is... uh, Actually, yeah, I did that in college, too, as, like, a student-directed show. They were like, we're going to do Elegies, and everybody's going to do a song. So that was um, really fun to do because it was all Mm student-conceived. And again, because each one of those songs is very different, like, they're all about loss in some sort of way, Mm -hmm. but there were some that were hysterical because it was about like losing your dog and like being like, you know, my, I hated my dog or whatever. (laughs) Like just the (laughs) fact that he like wrote a song about hating your dead dog. Um, (laughs) But then, you know, there's the song, is it anytime? That one. Oh my gosh. Just, I know again, you look at the lyrics and you're like, okay, I'm just going to be an emotional mess for the next next 10 minutes. Um, All of that wrapped up in one show, you know, or in one song cycle. I remember just being like, this is a stunning breadth of work, even though they're all tied together by a shared emotional thread. Yeah. Yeah, shared emotional thread. You're exactly right. But so various on top of that. He loves story songs. Like Mm -hmm. even in A New Brain, you have 
a bag lady type right. character stepping forward and having her own ladies who lunch moment where she just is like, it doesn't have anything to do with the plot other than she's introducing her life and and so he is the kind of composer that almost that might feel more at home at so, in song mm. cycles because he's able to take it wherever he wants to emotionally without being tied to a specific narrative mm. which is why I then think it's so interesting that he saw Crepuscule yeah I'm not gonna spell it and then (laughs) and saw this kind of improvisational play as a great basis for for a composed musical Uh, yeah I'm wondering if like the individuality of the characters was sort of the his segue into it being like oh you know telling each individual character story is the same way of like telling each individual song and elegies you know Mm, like to be able to be like Oh, these are varying, very, very different people. But like there is that kind of, again, he's so good at the commonality of it. So it's like, yes, they're all very different people, but they are all equally weird people at this equally weird event. (laughs) Um, (laughs) Totally. so, So that's sort of like the common factor. He ends up, okay, so on top of all of that, William Finn works at the Tisch School. He mm-hmm. works at NYU in like the musical theater grad com- composition program. Mm-hmm. And one of his students was a woman by the name of Rachel Schenken. I guess he liked collaborating with her, thought mm-hmm. she had a lot of talent in school. And so he asks her to come on as the book writer. Now, mm. I can't think of a more daunting <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> job as essentially a newbie. She had written stuff before, but this is like her first major musical. Yeah. And it's with number one, William Finn, and number two, a, a, an improvisational play. And I, I don't know of any other musical in history that had that genesis. Right. So uh, from what I understand, and I read a lot of interviews with her, mm-hmm. it was a highly collaborative process mm-hmm. that at times uh, was terrifying <laughs> and felt completely out of control. And yet she was kind of the perfect one to do it because of where she was at in her career. Right. She was able to sit and listen. And mm-hmm. sometimes all she would do was listen to a lot of the improvisation, learn about what characters had been made in mm-hmm. Crepuscule, and then after taking in all of the information and everybody's opinion on what it should be, she'd get by herself and kind of write it out mm-hmm. and did a pretty fantastic job, if no, I do say so. Yeah, I would definitely say a fantastic job. Like these characters are now, I think, highly iconic in, in musical theater. And I feel, yeah, that's a great point to be like somebody who obviously hadn't been tested, I think, in that sort of sense yet, but like had small enough of an ego to be like I can sit and take all these things in without feeling like I have to force an idea out like I I feel like that's Mm -hmm. a very there are so many different ways of working in collaboration and that to me feels like a a way that I feel very comfortable with so I'm I'm being like oh yeah I totally understand her wanting to do that wanting to like take in all the information and process it and then be like okay this is what I have to bring to the table I think musical theater is probably the most collaborative art form Mm out there and so to see something like this that within the history of musical theater many people would call impossible Mm -hmm. for it to come to fruition in such a a lovely elegant way Mm -hmm. is I think a huge credit to her yeah I believe there were three actors from the farm who were brought into the musical because they could sing Mm. and so because of that those three characters were for sure already in the show gotcha one of them was Barfay, mm-hmm. played by Dan Fogler. Mm-hmm. Another one was 
Logan, Schwartz, and Grubenaire. Mm-hmm. And then the third, I can't remember. <laughs> <laughs> and I, I'm, I'm not sure which one the other one was. Gotcha. So there were three actors who weren't like quote-unquote musical theater actors that brought their improvisations into the rehearsal room and uh, and and lived on, which yeah. is very, very cool. I also think that in addition to bringing that content from the improvisational play, they also really worked hard to maintain a sense of improvisation within the musical. Mm-hmm. And they did this most successfully in two ways. Uh, the first way was bringing actual audience members onto the stage. I can't think of a Broadway show before this right. that was like, audience participation, <laughs> but like real audience participation. Right. You are in the show. You are a speller. You're going to sit here next to the other cast members who are going to be performing and dancing an entire number mm-hmm. that you have never been. It's like <laughs> my worst nightmare. Yeah. <laughs> um. I, yeah, I think it's funny seeing, like, I've seen a couple productions, too, and, like, people really did not realize, you know, they were like, yeah, I'll sign up in the lobby or whatever, and, like, some people really did not realize they would be on, especially if you're a good speller, you're going to be in the show for, exactly. like, I don't know, 75% of the show, you're on stage. You're on stage a huge portion. It's one of those audience participation moments where whenever I've seen the show, it's worked beautifully. Right. No matter no matter what's going on with the person, mm-hmm. it's always funny. It's I'm trying to remember prep wise, they do give like an, a couple of easy words first, right? To mm-hmm. sort of like soothe the audience member who's just like kind of You're could like, be cow, very, yeah, <laughs> who could be very freaked out. And I think they they try and train the audience to always ask, like we like we did in the beginning, always ask for the definition and the sentence because. Uh-huh. Because that's sort of the part of the show, right? Because like you go cow, and they're like, "Can you please use it in a sentence?" It in a sentence. And they're exactly, like, and everyone smell dies. Cow. Yeah, <laughs> um, you know what a mother effing cow is. <laughs> yes, you know what this means. Um, and but then there are like a lot of words. I remember when we when we did it at UCLA, like, and we had the pack for it. It was just like there was like a big list of words that our principal just like had in case you know and like we actually did have a night where some master speller was in and we could not move on past unless he like got out and so I think he gave him the hardest word and he started spelling it and nobody else in the audience would have known and I'm pretty sure Richie just was like no 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 you got it wrong ding (laughs) you got it wrong bye (laughs) (laughs) so so that was really funny and like again a great I think a great testament to like his comfortability being like you're the only person who can make this work and he's like well we gotta go on so I'm gonna right? have to exactly. I have to exactly. knock you out of the program um, well it's but, like we'll give you a trophy after the show but yeah. we need to move on I know otherwise this will never like the show will be completely <laughs> different um, but it's true like that's the other kind of improvisational mm-hmm. element that they maintained the words are changing mm-hmm. uh, they often get somewhat of a an improvisational actor to play mm-hmm. the vice principal so right. that, that they can play off whatever is currently happening right. uh, with the audience participation, with the words. All of those sorts of things can be different from night to night. Yeah. And definitely the energy can be different too, like mm. um, depending on who you bring up. And like, I don't mean that in a negative way at all. Like, no. I, I don't think anybody who comes on is going to bring the energy down, you know? Like, no, it's impossible. It's, impo- it's so exactly. well-crafted. It's it's so impossible. Plus, like, if you have a tight cast, like, they will know how to make it work no matter what. But like, mm-hmm. 
Um, just, just see, remember different versions of the show. Like if you had the enthusiastic people, it was like great to see them try and keep up with choreo, you know, like they'd like <laughs> watch the dancers and like try and mimic them and be like, am I doing this right? It's such a joyful thing. And I feel like, especially with young actors, that does tend to be something frightening at first when you go like, mm-hmm. you're going to have an audience member. But I feel like everybody really stepped it up when we did it at this, when we did it in the middle slash high school range like friends would come up and they were prepared. They were like, we're going to like, we want to do well in the show, you know? <laughs> That's so cute. It was, it I was actually that. a really great synergy of everybody's intentions together because, you know, like the, the actors were like, okay, we're trying to stay in character, even though like one of my best friends is one of the spellers, but like right. the, the best friends were like, we want to do well so that like the show does well, you know? So it was really <laughs> cute. It's really cute mashing of energy. And I feel like that's a, that's a really fun use of that um, to, to be able to be like, yeah, this is going to happen and you're going to be part part of the show whether you like it or not we are talking with very about very specific types very Mm -hmm. specific characters yeah do you find any of those to be problematic um speaking as like an asian american person like i was first very excited that there was a role like specifically like when you say marcy park like any asian american is like that's korean because like (laughs) park is park is a korean last name you know like and that's that's a very uh specific choice and i feel like i feel like they were clever enough to subvert what you would traditionally expect let's say in having a character like that you know um having a character who's obviously got tiger parents (laughs) um and you know she can do any sport under the sun that song is so iconic to me like that she goes through all six languages she her song is called i speak six languages and she literally says different parts of the song in different languages um (laughs) and it's very fun in the score to see it like spelled out phonetically and like yes i'm so sure (laughs) and everybody's like what is this say what does this mean um (laughs) break it down break it down um but like her story arc is so interesting to me you know like having that character actually be like i don't want this you know and i that's Mm -hmm. what i think I mean, at least for me personally, I can't speak for everybody, but like I thought that was ultimately the most refreshing thing to see, you know, is to see this character be given the agency to say no, Um, Mm. be given the agency to be like, I could beat you all at this spelling bee, but I don't want to, you know, and I was like, that's great. You know, like that's musical theater characters that are written for Asian actors are so few and far in between, you know? Um, Absolutely. Let's say for Asian American characters, because, you know, obviously there are always these big shows like Miss Saigon that deal with this swath of characters. But like, as an Asian American, you're like, I don't necessarily connect with that, right? Because that's technically Vietnam or, um, Mm -hmm. and, you know, a place I've literally never been to. So, (laughs) but- this character specifically like an asian american student like how much more connect you know like i was like great this is <laughs> my heart my heart i know all, my heart and soul on stage and then um when you first approach it and she's like kind of described as like more robotic right in the beginning she's just like i'm here it's all business and blah 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 but then like when is it, it's rona right she's like miss park is all business and like she's really hurt by that and i was like that's that's really that's really sad. And it's true, you know, like, cause if, if she's seen as this sort of robotic machine, who's just perfectly going through life and, and accomplishing all the stuff that her parents are pushing her to do. And she's like, she realizes that's not who she wants to be. Um, and so that, that whole, um, progression of her coming, literally coming out of her shell, I guess, is, is one of my favorite things about the show. Um, and I think the more that I, 
the more that the show ages, the more I'm like, this is actually something that to me still works. To me, I feel like any Asian American actor would want to play that role. They'd be like, yeah, this is a great role for me to do. Um, oh, I love that. Yeah. I'm really happy to hear that because it's important for me on the podcast to hear from different perspectives mm-hmm. other than my own. And and my hope is that musical theater provides a place where those voices can be heard. And I know that in many ways we failed miserably. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I also hope that in certain instances we got it right and hopefully we'll continue to get it right more frequently. Yeah, know? I think this should not be taken as like we've done the one thing correctly let's move on you know like if anything it should be like oh this is a great starting point what are other great asian american stories that you can tell um i would be curious to hear you know a perspective of somebody because i don't know if it's I, i don't actually know if the character mitch is supposed to be a person of color uh yes mahoney that was the other stereotype that she would that the book writer was really uncomfortable with, right? Which is this character named Mitch, who's the comfort counselor, right? If right. you get dinged, if you get a uh, word wrong, mm-hmm. then he is there to comfort you. And it just so happens that he is a convict, yeah. That he's kind of fulfilling a community service type thing, and it was specifically written for a black male. And in the songs. There is a gospel flavor mm-hmm. yeah. that comes out to kind of drive that casting choice home. Right. Um, and I know she was a little uncomfortable with that as well. I feel like, I guess, if she was uncomfortable, I didn't realize that that would have continued. What she talked about was that they were really trying to create a diverse Cast. group of characters. Right. Yeah. And, and specifically actors. Mm-hmm. And in order to do that, they wanted to ensure that from here on out, these characters would need to be cast this way to ensure that you couldn't just do an all white version right. of the show. Yeah, that's I think that's the only not the only, but that to me is more problematic than Marcy's parts. Like mm-hmm. obviously there there's has to be something I think for me to be said about the doubling of the counselor as Olive's dad. Do you know what I mean? Like Oh, that's true. That is a good point. Um because uh for those who may have not seen it, many of these characters play other characters in mm-hmm. either flashbacks or uh fantasy type sequences. Right. Cuz he's also you... one of uh Logan's dads too. He's one of Logan's dads and mm-hmm. then he's also uh Olive's dad. So this actor isn't just playing a, a convict. Right, a convict who's tired of all do. these children. Um, right, right. But again, it doesn't erase sort of, again, the the stereotype that the songs of the comfort counselor kind of force that character to be. Mm-hmm. But maybe for, the, for any actor stepping into the role, there is something to be said about you're not typecast within the show. Like in the show, you're actually playing three very different characters. Yeah, Um, that's a really good point. Because there are other stereotypes that are just as stereo. (laughs) 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 But there are, and for good reason, Mm -hmm. uh, certain stereotypes that are much more sensitive than others. Right. Like the gay dads are 100% like a stereotypical. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, Yeah. Yeah, everybody is... Added like a eleven, right? Like every yeah. Character oh my gosh, another. absolutely. <laughs> I feel like the only character who gets to be at anything other than eleven is Olive. You know, if you can't relate to any of the zany characters on the show, then you relate to Olive. Come down to a six, and here's Olive. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Come down to a six. That's sort of where she is the whole show. Um, and yeah, I it's it's one of those shows to me that the the stereotypes, at least for the children, 
still <laughs> exist. Uh, none of the other children's quirks are based on their race. And I think that's helped with the universality of it, like the universality of the seeing the children outside of the spelling bee. Because like, there are definitely children like that who are not spellers, right? Like you've definitely mm-hmm. seen those type of interacted with those type of kids who may never have any interest in doing the spelling bee, but you're like, oh, you're that personality type, 100%. <laughs> right, right. I, I didn't give this show enough credit for how diverse it did strive to be mm-hmm. in a season that was kind of filled with pretty white musicals. We <laughs> recently talked about All Shook Up, which was the same season as this. Right. So in this year, you also had Spamalot. Mm-hmm. You had Dirty Ron Scoundrels. You had Light in the Piazza. Mm-hmm. A bunch of shows that were very much based on... Very Eurocentric. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Very. Thank you. It opens off Broadway, transfers mm-hmm. to Broadway at the Circle and Square, I believe, mm-hmm. and is a huge hit, both critically and with audiences. It runs over a thousand performances. Mm-hmm. Uh, obviously, because it's not a huge spectacle, made right. its money back, had a tour, is performed regionally. Like this was, this is an unqualified hit, folks, mm-hmm. and was very successful for everyone involved. Mm-hmm. Uh, it wins two Tony Awards: one for Best Book of a Musical for Miss Rachel, Go mm-hmm. You Go Girl, and then for Dan Fogler as Barfay. William Barfay, so gotcha. Best Featured Actor in a Musical. Nice. I mean, that is a pretty difficult season, even though it's like we said, not the most diverse season. Mm-hmm. Do you think it won what it should have, or do you think it deserved more? Yes, for book, for sure. Yeah, I don't know, because the music for Light in the Piazza obviously is stunning and ridiculously I really like it. I had a difficult. recent guest. <laughs> sorry, Rena Strober. She, she, she does not like the music to, to gotcha. Light in the Piazza. But I, I do. I think it is gorgeous as well. Yeah. So it's hard to say, you know, like best score. Like I love Spelling Bee, the score of Spelling Bee, but it, it feels very different Tonally, you know, it is kind of funny to be like, yeah, these were both musical theater pieces. I'm like, one's like almost opera and one is Mm -hmm. literally from improv, you know. So so it is a little it feels a little unfair to compare the two. And, you know, they couldn't share it. And I don't want to say it's easier to write something like this, but you're right in that it is episodic. Mm -hmm. Right. They each have their own song. They each have their own style. They each Mm -hmm. have their own thing. Mm -hmm. Whereas... Lion the Piazza is like this entire musical world. Right. Everybody lives in the same world. That everyone lives in. Yeah, it's very true. Definitely, obviously, it sticks together as a show. But I guess like if you had to talk about the score being more cohesive, you could argue that Piazza is a more cohesive score because overall it is all within that same world. Right. Um, Do you like Spamala? I mean, I'm I'm interested in also doing shows that I don't necessarily like, but mm. other people do. And I think Spamalot is one of those. Uh, it's not that I don't like it. I just don't really want to see it again. Right. <laughs> <laughs> That's really funny. Yeah, I think it's one of those shows that does well because of the more mass appeal. Do you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Like like anybody could go see this. You don't have to know anything about musical theater and you can go see Spamalot and you'll totally right. understand. Um, and, you know, obviously if you're a Monty Python fan, you can go and see it too. This is kind of how I look at this season. Mm-hmm. If Avenue Q deserved a Tony over Wicked, mm. then for sure <laughs> Line the Piazza or Spelling Bee deserved a Tony over Spamalot. That's right. kind of how I feel. Right. You know, that's it's sort of like the little the underdog versus the big box a little right, bit. Right, right. Yeah. And sometimes they go with the big splashy one. Yeah. 
Sometimes they pick the Will Rogers Folly. Sometimes they don't. Right. Um, it just kind of depends. But if I had my druthers, I would have give. I would want one of those two shows to win Best Musical. Right. No, I I agree. Wait, did Spamalot win that year, or was it? Yeah. So yeah, Spamalot won Best Musical. Gotcha. Yeah. I don't even remember if I watched that year. <laughs> All I remember from that year was Sara Ramirez, who won for Spamalot, right? Mm-hmm. She she sang Find Your Grail mm-hmm. flawlessly at the Tony Awards. <laughs> right. And then comes out and accepts her Tony Award. And she said something like, I'd like to thank Claritin, uh, <laughs> because I guess she had been having like these horrible allergies. allergies. <laughs> and, and then I went back and watched the whole ceremony again. And you can hear... Before she comes up and starts doing the last chorus of Find Your Grail, you hear her on her mic just going, (laughs) 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 just like clearing out everything that before she has to sing. And I was like, yep, she wasn't kidding. She needs (laughs) that Claritin. Oh, man. That's amazing. That's Uh, what I remember from that Tony Awards. There you go. Gosh, I don't remember what year I started watching Tony's, like, actually. Because I didn't grow up in a family that, like, went to musicals or even, like, thought about musicals (laughs) how did you find your way there then uh a girl that i went to ucla with uh who was i want to say a year older than me also came from the same piano studio so like i have a classical piano background like went to uh, a yamaha school like i did the whole program um and so she was at ucla before i was and she was music directing bat boy and she's like i need someone who can play this show I had never seen Bat Boy. I'd never seen the music from Bat Boy. I didn't know who uh, Lawrence O'Keefe was. <laughs> Go Larry O'Keefe. Yeah. And then we I love him. Uh, he's amazing. And I was like, I'll sure I'll do whatever. And I think I was playing second keys and I was just like, this is really difficult stuff. And I had no idea what I was doing. But because of that, because she had like spotlighted me as one of like the available pianists at school, I started getting pulled into like all the projects from there. And then came out of college being like, well, I have a degree in music. Technically, it's composition. Um, (laughs) But I was like, what do I do with this? And I was like, I feel like I've been doing some form of musical theater ever since then. Um, So amazing. So that's the the quick version. But yeah, I don't think I watched the Tonys. Like my first show that I ever saw, period, was Avenue Q. Wow, really? Yeah, because I saw it as a freshman when they're like our dorms were like, hey, we're going on a trip to the Amundsen or wherever it was playing. Like, do you want to sure. come see the show? And I was like, what is this show about? <laughs> yeah. Um, wow, that's interesting. Yeah, that was the first that that was the first play or musical that I saw because I didn't go see plays either. <laughs> it sounds like that in many ways was a launching point for you because you've done so many quirky musicals since. Maybe, yeah. Like you the fact I that mean? I didn't start with like Cinderella. <laughs> right, exactly. That's true, yeah. I That's was, like, really interesting. I've done a lot of weird fringe shows that I've loved doing. Um, and then, yeah, doing Spelling Bee. I mean, even for the bigger theaters that I've worked in, I feel like I've still done... Like, like when you did Matilda, show. I would say that's a really right. quirky show. Yeah, doing that. I, maybe that's, yeah, I, I would take that as a compliment, doing only sure. quirky shows. <laughs> <laughs> All right, let's go through the characters. We've talked about some of them already. Yeah. They are so interesting and deserve mm-hmm. to have a little spotlight. So the show starts with Rona Lisa Peretti. Mm-hmm. She has won the Putnam County Spelling Bee in the past. It was everything to her, and now she wants to make sure that it can be everything for someone, somebody else. Right. And she's getting as much out of it as the kids. If not more. <laughs> uh, she was originally played on Broadway by Lisa Howard. Mm-hmm. And I had never heard Lisa Howard before, but I'm obsessed with her voice. <laughs> she 
has a glorious instrument. Yeah. Uh, is a really great fit for William Finn. She has a solo album that I highly recommend that's all William Finn songs. Amazing. Lisa Howard. She's a Kwan. Her number two, in terms of being in charge of the spelling bee, is Vice Principal Panch. Panch? Panch. Panch. It's Panch. Panch. I think. Yeah. Are they like, there's like a thing between them, right? Panch kind of crushes on her, I think. It like right. has a crush. I don't think. Rona Lisa's returned that affection. Yeah, no, she's not. <laughs> she's oh my not gosh, so- I just realized Rona Lisa is like Mona Lisa. Wow, <laughs> I'm so sorry. I heard you say it, and I was like, "What? Oh my gosh, that's hilarious." Um, that's a great, uh, a great little hidden gem. Um, yeah, and, and I think yeah, because at the end, in the uh, in the epilogue, isn't Panch like given a restraining order? <laughs> I think. Oh, you're right. I feel like you're was, exactly right. Yeah, <clears throat> she like took out a restraining order on him. Um, it's like literally step leave away. Me alone. Yeah, <laughs> can't handle it. We talked about Mitch Mahoney, who's yes. the official comfort counselor, mm-hmm. and starts out. I think begrudgingly he's yeah. doing his community service and then totally buys into it. Yep. And uh, which is yet another kind of uh, subverting right. the type that you mentioned. He ends up loving it. And what does he end up doing? Doesn't he become... He becomes sort of like their confidant, which is actually really, really sweet. Like the kids all write to him. Like they all like say, dear Mitch, blah, 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 blah. And like something happens. They all like overlap each other dialogue wise. That's um, so cute. So that's really cute. I think, I feel like he keeps going back. Like, I feel like that ends up being... Oh, it becomes, like, his official position. Yeah, exactly. Like, he he, he decides that this is what he wants to do, which is amazing. Like, literally becoming a counselor. (laughs) Yes. I love that. That's so cute. Uh, Next up is Olive Ostrovsky. Ostrovsky, And And Olive is a newcomer to spelling. Right. Yeah? Yeah. Her character is, like, just is is both sad and beautiful and, Mm. you know, tragic and, and funny. But she's she's kind of a weird, quiet girl. Mm-hmm. She seems to have kind of a chaotic home life. Mm-hmm. And there's something incredibly safe about right. spelling. There is a correct way to spell things. And so she, she like, sits on the toilet <laughs> <laughs> with her dictionary yep. and finds a lot of comfort in that. Yeah. And... This has led her to be like a first timer at uh-huh. the at the spelling bee amidst all of these quote unquote professional kids, right? Who have right. been studying nonstop for this. Right. Her mom is in India. Yeah. She's kind of living her kind of like an li- eat pray love life. <laughs> yes. Her eat pray love life. Uh, in India and she has like a fantasy sequence in which she imagines what her mom might say to her. And I mean, her dad is also a fantasy in that sequence because he's supposed to be at the spelling bee and he doesn't show up. Oh, and he doesn't even show up. She leaves a seat for him. Yeah, exactly. No, sir, please don't sit in that. Yeah. That's for my dad. And then he never comes. Yeah. Uh, How does she, because I know she has to have like the the signed form Mm -hmm. and she doesn't have the signatures. Do they just let her participate anyway? I feel like Rona Lisa waves that for her Mm. and there's also a fee and i feel like um panch actually pays that for her at the end oh that's so i think that those those two adults do see sort of how much this means to her and they realize that you know her her parental figures are completely absent and during the course of the spelling bee and they kind of step up for that so that's a little (laughs) redeeming moment for them because yeah because Rona Lisa is kind of like, I would say, obnoxiously in love with the spelling. Right? <laughs> She's like constantly like, I love it when kids get stuff wrong. Because then you see, you know, like she has right. those really funny. Here comes where, the moment. It's my favorite moment. Yeah. 
she 100 uh, percent that's like her her theme of the whole show she goes that's my favorite moment uh and <laughs> and then panch obviously is like trying to spell the words and he's got a chip on his shoulder about being the vice principal like that's a running oh of course like he's of the course. vice principal not the not the true principal being um, a vice principal has to suck because you're like in charge of work <laughs> right you have to be in charge of all of the stuff that nobody else wants to do yeah that's what being a vice principal sounds like to me and you probably get less credit doing it too right so, yeah exactly um so he's got that chip on his shoulder and he's like they're both seen as i i think more foils to a lot of the kids development but then like to have them have like a little bit of softening towards olive is a nice yeah a, li- a nice little moment for them too that's so, so sweet yeah in the professional world, I say keep saying professional like they get paid, but <laughs> but it's like the professional spellers. Yeah. In the the culture of the scripts spelling, mm-hmm. kids have different tactics to help yes. them spell. Yes. It's a very real thing. Some like tap their legs. Some uh-huh. write it on their arm. Yeah, yeah, write on their arm. Some like speak into their hand. Right, because the rule is as soon as you say a letter out loud, it is officially considered a part of the spelling. Now, I'm looking here on the Wikipedia for everyone's official name. <laughs> William Morris Barfay. William Morris Barfay. Full... <laughs> Amazing. <laughs> I didn't know that. He's a world-class speller. Mm-hmm. He tends to be incredibly awkward. Mm-hmm. It's like socially awkward. Uh, maybe even a little disgusting. Yeah. Which dis- disgusting kids are hilarious. Yes. Once I like choreographed a production of Joseph and the Amazing Technicolor Dreamcoat for an intermediate school, and my hat goes off to all of those teachers because those kids have not learned hygiene things yet. Oh gosh! And so you get like a stinky intermediate school kid. There's nothing quite as rank. <laughs> um, but anyway, what Barfay uses to spell is his magic foot. Right. So he <laughs> takes a moment to spell it all out with his foot. Before he says it aloud. Right. And that's that's kind of become his signature move. Right. And he's really gung-ho on winning it this year because he came in. Did he come in second last year? I feel like he was either second or in the top three. And then it was a peanut allergy that knocked him out, right? Ooh, that peanut allergy. <laughs> always. Because <laughs> there's a very funny flashback about peanuts in the middle of the show. Because it was Chip who won last year. Correct. Yes. So I, yeah, that makes sense that Barfay was second last year. Let's talk about him. Uh, Mr. Chip Chip Tolentino. Tolentino. Yeah. Kind of your all American boy scout. He's definitely Uh, to me like written as the alpha, right? And then it's. Oh, for sure. If there's like an alpha in prepubescent males (laughs) at the spelling bee, then it's Chip. It would be Chip. Yes. Exactly. He like plays Little League. Uh (laughs) That's right. His descriptions. And so he's coming back to defend his title because he won he won the whole thing last year. Right. One of the big upsets is that he gets out pretty quickly. Pretty immediately. Yeah. Because hormones are starting <laughs> to affect his brain waves as yep. they do to everyone. Correct. At some point. But all of a sudden what has changed between last year and this year is the fact that now he's noticing girls and he keeps getting accidental boners, <laughs> and he has a he has a whole song about it. Yep, lots of body part songs. Yep, Barface talking about his foot, <laughs> Tolentino's talking about something else. So he sings a song, and unfortunately now has to work at the concession stand for the mm-hmm. rest of for the rest of the piece. Yeah. <laughs> 
There, that's also a really fun audience interaction because a lot of times they'll have whoever's playing Chip carrying like a giant snack box and just like sure. throwing stuff into the audience, <laughs> throwing yes. like what M and M's or whatever it is throwing right. into the audience. Um, that yeah, that's that's also super fun because people were not expecting free snacks and they are always happy to receive free snacks. <laughs> <laughs> Next up, we got Logan. Logan Schwartz and Grubinier. And she has two dads. It took me a really long time to realize it was literally Schwartz and Grubinier was her last name. Like, I <laughs> Which think... is, like, one dad's last name is Schwartz. Yeah. The other one is Grubinier. And so her last name is Schwartz, Schwartz and, Grubinier. and Grubinier. Yes. Yeah. Uh, have you ever had pixie sticks? Yes. That's how I would describe Logan. She's like a little a little crack kid on on pixie <laughs> sticks. Like she's had way too many pixie sticks. Actually, the last production I did, this was our youngest actress was the oh, girl cute. who played Logan. She was so she was tiny and it totally made sense and she did a lisp beautifully. <laughs> like, yeah. And she, she, yeah, she has a full on lisp. Yeah, that's a part of the character because it actually they mention her speech therapy at the very end of the epilogue. <laughs> <laughs> so she has to have a lisp. And so saying Schwartz and Grubinier with a lisp is also really fun. Um, her dads are very overbearing. Mm-hmm. Um, she knows way too much about political and cultural affairs because of yes, them. Yes. And, uh, you know, for a girl of her age. And she has a lot of pressure. Her song is called Woe Is Me. Oh, it's so it's so cute, but it's, it's actually really sad at the end. It, it is when you think about it. But just yeah. the, the amount of pressure and, and kind of perfectionism. Mm-hmm. The, it's interesting that she and Marcy have similar yeah. problems, right? But Logan isn't able to stand up for herself in the way that Marcy is. Right. And it's actually really interesting that you don't see, and I think that's how they, again, kind of like were sidestepping a little bit of a, a problematic thing is like, you don't see Marcy's tiger parents. You, in fact, you see Logan's parents who are much more overbearing. Like Marcy talks about these things, but like, you don't see her parents, like, you know, scolding right. her for getting it wrong or anything like that. So it's right, more right. implied. Um, and yeah, a hundred percent Logan, not being able to stand up for herself, um, uh, is is very heartbreaking because she obviously loves her dads, but like she kind of sees that they're stressing each other out too, right? Like they're trying to help right. her prep for the event, but they're yelling at each other and they're, um, you know, and she does have a moment in the show where one of her dads tries to sabotage the thing. He pours Coke uh, on the stage. Yeah, Coke on this floor so the Barfay can't use his magic foot technique. Right, and and that's the sad part, is that not only does she clean it up because she's like, I don't need to cheat to win, but then she gets the word wrong. And af- right after... Ugh, I know, and you're just like, no, she just stood up for her principles and then she got the word wrong. Um, and then so she sings the reprise of Woe Is Me as she's being uh, kicked off, I think, right? And so yeah, her... her yep. Her little theme is, I hope you still love me, America. <laughs> like it's yes. Really, because she's, I hope you still love me, America. America. Um, she sings that because, you know, she's obviously this is not the national spelling bee these kids are at, but they're all prepping. Mm-hmm. You know, they're all like being trying to prep for the national spelling bee. She um, might as well be running for president. No, 100 percent. Like, that's the little girl that you do want running for president because yeah. of, I think, honestly, because of her caring nature, because of the fact that she, you know, doesn't cheat to win. Has like, principles. Exactly. Absolutely. Well, it was like, I'll take Logan Schwartz and Grubinier for president any day. <laughs> Look, I am not a parent yet. I do want to be. It's mm-hmm. like it's kind of a non-negotiable <laughs> as right. far as I'm concerned. I really want to be a parent. But it's something that. We all have to be aware of because these types of parents do exist. Right. I, my my sister, my little sister owns a dance studio and she said that she had a mom who I know probably doesn't listen to this podcast, so I'm fine to tell this story. <laughs> uh, her daughter has, is six years old uh-huh. 
And she came up to her and said, "Can you please write out a full plan so that when she's in high school, she makes the drill team, like the dance team of the high school?" Oh, she's six, man. <laughs> and we're already looking at like she must be on this dance team when she gets to high school. What if she doesn't like it after? What year? if she doesn't like dance? <laughs> yeah, that's so anyway, terrifying. But like we we do this and we do it under the disguise of I want our my want child to best. excel. Yeah. But uh, no, for sure. I've I've definitely run into my fair share of parents like that for piano students, you know. Like, oh, I'm sure. And in some cases, it's like very blatant. They're just like, we're we're just doing it. So it looks good on their resume. I don't like mm-hmm. actually care if they're good at piano or not. Or I mean, even in general, just speaking with some of these kids, because I, you know, I try to come and approach them from a more, I think, less parental way being like, well, you know, what is your schedule like? And like, Sometimes these kids are like, well, I have this sport and this sport and then this activity. And I'm like, when do you have time to play piano? Like, you honestly don't, you know? Yeah, something's got to give at some point. And so, like, that's a different sort of overloading, too, right? Like, Mm -hmm. to to spread them out so thin to just be like, well, fill out everything that they can do. It's like, oh, gosh, I understand the the need for that. But at the same time. No, actually, I don't. Like, like, I don't really understand the need for that. I guess I understand the Im- impulse to do that, but I don't understand the actual need to do it. Um, sure, sure, but, sure. But yeah, so Logan is Logan has a little bit of a helicopter parent in her situation. Amen. Yeah. Great way of saying it. Uh, we've already talked about Miss Marcy Park. Mm-hmm. Her amazing song is I Speak Six Languages. It's so in great. Which she shows how she excels at everything she without the, getting sore. She she kicks the MD off, whoever's playing piano, and plays a section of the show on the piano, yes! too. That's <laughs> yeah. really fun. Marcy Park, forever my uh, favorite character in the show. <laughs> Next up, uh, we got Leaf Coney Bear. Oh, Leaf. Leaf, what a what a fun character. This is who I, I think I've always wanted to play. Oh, my be agent, such a for leaf. some strange reason, submitted me for Barfay. What? Yeah, and I I would have pegged you him. as a chip or a leaf first, rather than a right. Well, and so I called him and I was like, uh, you know, <laughs> hey, hey, agent, I don't think that this is right. And he's like, no, I really, I really do think based on the breakdown what they're looking for. You're like, then come to find out he hadn't even seen the show. <laughs> no wonder. <laughs> mm, that's what happens sometimes. Leaf I, is literally I, spelled L E A F, right? Like an yeah, actual no, like leaf. yeah, exactly, like on a tree. Yeah, yeah, and cone, like cone, also from a tree. Yep. Coney bears Bear. who enjoy trees. Yeah. Anyway, it's it's such a great character. He wears like a helmet. He wears we, a we've helmet. all seen this kid. He wears like he wears a backpack yeah. constantly. He's like put together his outfit. Finger puppets, right? Yes, he has finger puppets. <laughs> I have a nephew who loves to pick out his own outfit. It's this... always ridiculous, but it's my favorite thing on earth. It's so fun um, to watch. His like thing is that he goes into a trance when he spells, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. Like he's just... like, oh, I don't know this word. I don't know if I'm going to be able to do it. And then, oh, yeah. and then he go, like, goes into this trance and is able to do it perfectly. So it's this, it's this kid who seems kind of weird, maybe not very smart, and uh-huh. yet is able to go into this trance where he uh, goes beyond all of that and spells <laughs> words perfectly. Right. He's almost like he's getting a, a, a vision, like every time he spells. Yes. Like he's transported out of his body for a moment so these are all of this is our cast of zany characters they all get out one at a time Mm -hmm. um on various words all of which have really funny definitions it's it's a show that made me laugh the first time i saw i saw the original cast they Mm -hmm. came and did it randomly in los angeles at Mm. the well i can't remember what it's even called it's a big ish theater very Uh wide 
but feels it feels very school like like an auditorium. Yeah, exactly. And it was the entire original cast. That's They're amazing. doing it, at least that I remember. So funny, made me made me laugh. Um, and then I've seen a couple other productions since that also made me laugh. Mm-hmm. It's really fun to see what different people bring to these different roles because totally, you know, sky's the limit. Truly, in terms of of physicality, just some of these interesting little details, mm-hmm. costuming. Yeah. Right at the end, we have we have Olive and Barfay. We have mm-hmm. the newcomer and Barfay. I forget. I forgot that. One of the the running jokes is that they keep saying Barfy. Yep. <laughs> so Barfay has developed kind of a crush on Olive, and I feel like uh, it's kind of mutual. Like Olive has just been like, yeah, like almost a camaraderie yeah. where it's like I'm weird, you're weird. I found my niche with spelling. You found your niche with spelling. Yeah. Let's just go for it. So <laughs> they start spelling back and forth, and one word's given to one, one word given to the other. It looks like they're neck and neck, mm-hmm. and then. Who gets it wrong first? Olive gets a word wrong, and then um, Barfay has to spell Weltenschang correctly to get it. <laughs> I hope I didn't mess up the German pronunciation. <laughs> um, but but it's it's actually a really sweet moment because he's in the middle of spelling the word, and he looks over at Olive because he, she knows he's going to get it right, and she says, it's okay, Barf, because she calls him Barf for short, which is Aww. so cute. And, like, that was always a moment where, like, someone in the audience would, like, nervous laugh, because everybody was obviously super invested in the show, and it's, like, of a course. little moment to, like, break the tension when she's like, it's okay, Barf, and someone go, ha Like, you would always it's hear... Like, I, like, I'm feeling too much. I gotta, I gotta I know, do the nervous I laugh. To, I have to, like, let some emotions out. Um, and then he spells it correctly, and then they all go into champion. They sing champion uh, to, and, to and so Barfay wins, mm-hmm. but, like, what... An amazing debut for Miss Olive. Yes. Um, and what a beautiful like friendship that's developed between them in in a very public way. You know, mm-hmm. everyone in the audience, we are all witnesses to mm-hmm. this actual spelling bee, which makes it even sweeter, I think. Yeah, and and actually I feel like the show does a really good job of sort of um being aware of the audience, but also like almost like laser focusing in on like the intimacy of a lot mm. of these moments, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, Cause like that little moment when he looks at her and like, we're all aware of it, but like, you know, in a movie it'd be like the close up to just the two of them and, For just, sure. and her like whispering, it's okay, you can win, you know? But like in the shared theater of the, in the shared intimacy of the theater, you see that, but like in your brain, you already know that was an intimate moment that we were privy to that we wouldn't normally be privy to, you know. And yeah, like, so it's same really same thing with the flashbacks. They do... Yeah, exactly. Do you know you know Alyssa Simmons? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Alyssa was saying that she saw a national tour of Spelling Bee in a really big theater, and yeah. she felt like it didn't work at all mm-hmm. because there is an intimacy to these moments. This right. like. I really love how you said that. A laser focus into these private moments that mm-hmm. we're, we still get to witness because of the magic of theater. Right. So it's a perfect show to do in, in smaller spaces because of that. Oh, 100%. The two times that I've done the show have not been in traditional theaters. Mm. Like when, the first time when we did it at UCLA, we did it in what was called the Treehouse, which is this like weird... Like, it literally looked like a rec room that was, like, built into some trees. So it was just this big empty room, and we set up folding chairs just, like, as if people were here to see a spelling bee. And then when we did it at the middle elementary school, we did it in their lobby. 
No way. So, yeah, we did it in their lobby. So that was really fun because like kids were just sitting on the floor and like we had some seats for like the adults that didn't want to sit on the floor, but it was in the lobby. So it just made it feel like it was almost a school event, you know, like people were just wow. coming to watch the kids spell. And I love that. I love yeah. that by creating unconventional shows like this, you open people up to do unconventional productions of it in 100%. many different places. A hundred percent. Like, I mean, speaking of the unconventional shows, like one of my favorite experiences was doing Lizzie at a punk rock bar. Like we did, <laughs> <laughs> we did it at a, like on stage in a, in a bar that was like serving drinks on the side. And like, I was like, this is a show where like metal and punk bands come and play, you know? And so like, we actually had a couple people that we knew who would, wandered in because they were just like what's this show like normally what's going on in here (laughs) exactly they're just like normally it's like you know a a dj or like a a a band is playing but here are these four women in victorian outfits like what's happening yes oh my gosh that makes me so happy unconventional spaces forever it's great and honestly that's one of the reasons why i do love la is Mm -hmm. because there's nothing conventional about the the theater scene in los angeles right there, it just isn't. It's it's incredibly diverse. It's uh, you're constantly fighting for a space because everything <laughs> is so freaking expensive that right. no one can afford to actually be in theaters. Right. So it sometimes brings out these really exciting additions to musical theater that mm-hmm. that in many ways I feel is related to to Spelling Bee. Do you have any favorite songs that we haven't talked about yet? I mean, we brushed on it, but the "I Love You" song. I mean, thank you. That I I wanted to bring it up. <laughs> I was like, uh, we talked about, you know, Mitch Mahoney's character singing that song. Um, I did that song first before I did the show. Like, I did it in a cabaret, and I was like, what is this from? Like, how have I never heard this before? The emotional gut punch that this song is, you know? Like, even without the context of knowing what the show was, I was just, Mm -hmm. like, hearing three people sing about it. I think that's, you know, part of the magic of uh, William Finn's uh, writing, which is like, he writes three-part harmonies like nobody else. Yes, 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 100%. Like, hearing the three-part harmony on this song, this is the most, like, searing. Everybody has, like, moments where their lines pop out, and, like, I, I'm sure it wasn't, like, a mathematical thing, but it just feels like everybody was featured very equally. Mm. And together, like, what they can do as as the blend, voices blended together. Oh, yeah. This song, Always and Forever. It's I think it's one of those songs that I can't listen if I'm, like, driving and it comes up on Spotify because I'll just be driving through tears. And I'm like, like no. this is not safe. I know. This is not, this is not okay if this comes on. Um, it's just, it's, it's up there with sailing for me, right? Like, Evolve. Yes, and, absolutely. Um, uh, and anytime. Like, speaking of, like, the one hits from every show that I'm like, I'm going to cry, I'm going to cry. It's so true, though. And and honestly, when it hits you in in the show, mm-hmm. I think on some level you're like, oh, crap. It's This show is this as well? Right, You know, yeah. because up until then... It's You've been, been laughing hysterically. Laughing hysterically and and but at the same time like so invested and so mm-hmm. heartfelt. Yeah. And then like you said the sucker punch of this song which is Can we talk about can, how he sets it up though? Like it's yes, so yes, clever. Yes, yes. We are absolutely on the same page, <laughs> same page. Olive receives the word chimerical? Chimerical, yes. Yeah. Um, and so that word means a fantasy. A fantasy, An yeah, illusion. something that yeah. doesn't. And so when she's given this word, and well, here's the definition. I can't even talk about it. 
she goes to this fantasy in which her parents are there together telling that they love her. Yeah. The, the, <laughs> I'm just both of us like, ah. Um, and it's not even that. It's just like, they also apologize for all the things yes. that, they've, that they've put her through, you know? So like, you're seeing the emotional intelligence of this like, I don't know, 11, 12 year old girl to some extent, like, she knows there's a reason why her mom has left, you know? And even if she doesn't put it into words, there's this like, oh, what is the devastating line? Her mom said, your sadness filled my room. You know, like when mm. you were born, your sadness filled my room. And she, it's almost like she's acknowledging that like depression, anxiety runs in the family, you know, mm-hmm. like though she literally says it runs in the family at one point. And then the dad comes in and just says like, I'm sorry that I'm taking my emotions out on you. Right. Like, Oh yeah. It's not your fault. So much is happening in this song. And like, I don't, uh, I'm trying to think, how did they do it in the original production? Cause it's Rona Lisa's character and Mitch's character that scene, right. That are, that are pretending to be the, the mother, the father. Yeah. Olive is still at the, at the microphone. Mm hmm ready to spell the world with the word and we you just have a lighting change and very mm-hmm. simply they appear behind, behind her, her. Oh. in in a sort of triangle right and i'm not even sure they really look at each other they just sort of um, sing to her they just sing to her in kind of almost a lay miz sort of way right and it's just it's it's a, such a stunning moment my gosh then at the very end when she spells the word right they do the three-part harmony on the final i, I love. love yeah and then she spells chimerical and she gives the definition. Like she, she, you're right. She doesn't <sighs> like she doesn't even ask for the definition. She knows. She's she like, knows exactly what highly it fanciful. Is. And then they sing you. And that's also another genius because they go from like these crazy, beautiful harmonies to single you. Unison. Yeah. And so like the male voice has to kind of um, float up to be unison with the two uh, women singers. Uh, and it's just this beautiful, gorgeous tone. And then the song ends. and Everyone's like, why am I crying now? You're like, what happened to the fun spelling bee? <laughs> I thought this was supposed to be fun. Uh, <laughs> I know. Like, I feel like from that moment on towards the rest of the show, like it, it's equally funny and like heartbreaking at the same time. Right. Like kind of going back and forth, trading, trading blows a bit. Um, yeah. But oh man. Yeah, for sure. That if you wanted me to talk about one number in the show, that number. <laughs> No, I'm so glad you did, because that that would be my pick as well. Yeah. What is cool is that you can't have this kind of humor without this kind of heartfelt stuff. Like, I, right. I, you know what I mean? I think sometimes we set out to create something while ignoring the other part that mm-hmm. makes it possible. Mm-hmm. And and the show doesn't do that. Mm-hmm. Does it, it does it really well. It's a great example of that. Right. I mean, it derives humor from, I think, a lot of either shared things or things that you are familiar with, right? Like let's say the stereotypes that you're familiar with, but then it sort of uh, balances that out with equally shared emotion. I honestly want to see more William Finn musicals. Like that's, that's honestly what I am left with. He has such a very specific style that it Mm -hmm. comes around just every once in a while. And then if you can catch it and it hits, then, then you get to enjoy it. But other than that, it's too, it's too often a lightning in a bottle type thing for me. Yeah, that I'm, I don't get I don't get to consume it as much as I'd like to. Right. Like it, he's not been as traditionally as pro- prolific, I guess, if mm-hmm. you want to say. But I feel like most people only know him from Spelling Bee or Falsettos. Mm. Right? It's just yep. those two. So I love William Finn. I love Spelling Bee. I'm uh, grateful that it was a hit because now mm-hmm. more people get to love it as well. Mm-hmm. And yeah, that's all I got. <laughs> 
<laughs> Thank you so much for doing this. Of course. You're so intelligent and so talented and so warm and lovely to talk to. I really appreciate it. Thank you. As always, if you have recommendations for shows you'd like us to cover on a musical theater podcast, be sure to email me at a musical podcast at gmail.com. Also, follow us on Instagram and Twitter at a musical podcast for more great content. And you know what? Check out our Tee Public store because it has lots of great designs from shows past and present that you can put on all sorts of merchandise. Jennifer, how do we follow you? Um, I am on Instagram. Uh, I think it's just at, I should know this. <laughs> I was like, I think uh, it's just at J-E-N and then underscore L-I-N because um, I go by Jen Lynn because there are a lot of Jennifers. I post a lot about my cat who I hope you haven't picked up. She's been furiously meowing at the door <laughs> for the last 10 oh. minutes. She's like, why can't I get in? Um, I post adorable. a lot about my cat and food and theater that I'm hopefully working on. <laughs> Look, cat, food, theater. Yeah. <laughs> I love it. Those three, The three necessities. And to all our listeners out there, in the words of the great Mitch Mahoney, goodbye. Hey, it's Leslie Odom Jr. here on the Broadway Podcast Network to tell you about the RISE Theatre Directory, a program of maestro music. RISE is a national online resource designed to connect and empower backstage and administrative and creative theatre professionals from underrepresented backgrounds. If you work or aspire to work in the theater community, this can help you find your next project. And if you hire theater professionals, search the Rise Theater directory to find your next team. Create your profile now and get more information by visiting risetheater.org. That's theater with an R-E-R-I-S-E-T-H-E-A-T-R-E dot org because only together we rise.